Don't let him do it, Sean. Get out, get out your taser. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Ryan Nicodemus! <laughs> <laughs> Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Minimalists Podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. My name is Joshua Fields Milburn. And I'm Ryan Nicodemus, and together we are The Minimalists. Welcome to episode number 51. Uh, today we're going to talk about moving. We've got some questions to answer, Ryan. Now, now, you and I have accidentally become experts in moving over the last six years. We have we have moved quite a bit. Yes. Uh, in fact, uh, although we even moved a lot while we were in the corporate world, not a lot, but I, we used to have this inside joke that... And this just popped into my head a second ago, but um, I would call Ryan up and I would call you up and I would say, hey, man, you ready for Josh and Ryan move heavy things season number four? Yes. And then it'd be season number five. There was always something <laughs> I was trying to get you to move in the most uh, obscure place. <laughs> if it wasn't like a dining table, then it was like your father's... Uh Chest, remember that chest we had oh to my, move? It was Up me, like, you, and Jerome. Like now, two flights of stairs. My brother Jerome is one of the strongest people I know. He's actually done. He he has done moving for a living before, and. He was, you and him and me were trying to get this up this weird flight of stairs into the third bedroom, which was my office. Uh, at my which hardly fit in there. Like, yeah, it, it bare, like with your desk. And, yeah, it was. It was absurd. In the bookshelves. Yeah, it was so absurd. It was crazy. And and. I can look back at it now and realize how absurd it was. All this and the pain of moving all of these things, and I, I, I have to say, like moving is probably probably like my, it's in my top three worst hated activities. The the, the irony of this is right after we record this podcast, we're moving some stuff today. Uh, we have <laughs> well, a, we aren't, but right, we we hired a, a a couple guys to come move a conference table for us, um, and, and a couple chairs because we're moving into some new office space eventually here. At, uh, well, now the, we're a bit older, man. We got to save our backs. Oh my! Well, you know. And my at back. the end of the day, you know, it's funny, man. Like, um, I, I've told people before, like, oh yeah, I, you know, I'm, I'm moving uh, this weekend or whatever, you know, yada yada yada. Oh yeah, do you need some help? No, no, I got movers. You got movers? <laughs> Isn't that going to cost you like a thousand dollars? It's like, no, it might cost me 150 bucks, right? Because I hardly have anything, and it takes them like an hour and a half to move me. Yeah. And yeah. if I was to move myself, it'd take me twice as long. Uh-huh. And uh, my back would be taxed for the next two or three weeks. Oh, not good, man. Yeah, man. So, so as we've gone through this process, we've accidentally learned a lot. Four years ago, we moved out to Montana. Now, you and I moved to this cabin in the middle of nowhere, and literally everything that I that I owned, I was able to fit into my car. I got rid of yeah. uh, some furniture, and and um, we moved into a cabin that was. I'll say furnished, but there was like a table and a a couch, and a couch, and a, couple, and a coffee table, a couple beds, yeah, um, and uh, which people can see. Uh, so if you want to see what oh, that yeah, looked like, right. we we moved into this cabin in the middle of nowhere at theminimalists.com slash cabin. That's where we wrote our second book. It's called Everything That Remains. We we moved out here for four months just to try to write that book, or the first draft of that book, and. 
Oh man, we got out here. It was October third. When I got, I got out about a week before you did, and it was already snowing, like snowing heavily the day that I that I got out to Montana, and it was a few hours away from from Missoula. It was uh, by a town called Phillipsburg. One traffic light and 3,400 square miles, middle of nowhere. So we, we moved out there, and it was just blistering cold all, all, all the time. And it was a very productive thing. But then we decided, oh, what, you know, I don't want to live in the middle of nowhere forever, right? And right. so we, we found ourselves gravitating toward the, the big city, Missoula, Montana. Moved out here uh, with our friend Colin Wright, uh, who runs a website called Exile Lifestyle. And we started a publishing company together, and we all three moved into the, the same the same house, and uh, didn't own very much then. And moving was a lot easier. It's still a pain in the butt, no matter what, mm. You're, because it's it, it's just you have you have things that you have to deal with. You're forced to confront your clutter or your your accumulations, even if you don't have that many accumulations. But then a year later, Ryan, you and I went on on tour, and we were on tour for almost a year. We we, we donated ten months of our lives to do 119 free events in eight different countries. And when we were on that tour, we each had one one bag. Now, a lot of people have asked me about that bag. From It's come back to haunt me. What a bad job we did in that movie. If I know, someone right? Someone wants to purchase something after they watch it. <laughs> yeah, so in our, in our documentary, uh, we, it outlines some of that tour that we were on. That, that's a, a through thread throughout the documentary. And I had one bag for the entire 10 months, and you had uh, a bag for the entire 10 months. And, and you really learn that, man, when you get back, to whatever home is, you start to question like, okay, do I really, why, why was I holding on to that? I don't even remember owning that jacket. And so minimalism for me is about constant questioning. And in a weird way, Ryan, I feel like we temporarily deprived ourselves of, of things while we were on the road and coming back, you realize, okay, I didn't really get much from that. Or man, I really missed having a couch. And and so there are things that you realize while you're on the road, because we stayed at a lot of Airbnbs or or at readers' houses. And wow, you know, this this does add value to my life. And these other things I thought did, when I went without them for a while, I realized that that they didn't. So we've moved a lot uh, in the last uh, six years, last 10 years, last 15 years. And so we have we have some experience with that, and we want to answer your your questions today. So I think we should just go ahead and dive right in. Let's our, do it. Our first voicemail question is from Preston. He is in one of my favorite cities in the world, Fargo, North Dakota. We have a lot of friends out there. And <laughs> what, uh, is it like Dayton, Ohio is number one? Fargo, North Dakota is number two. No, no. <laughs> I, yeah, I think so. So I I think my favorite city is. Is probably Los Angeles or Dayton. One of the, I mean, Dayton's always feel like home yeah. to me. Uh, Los Angeles, just because there's so much access to everything, and there's some really great people there, and some some cool communities there. It's funny, and the we, weather the weather is awesome. Yeah, we've got, I was gonna say we got some speaking gigs uh, coming up in LA in June, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, <clears throat> it's funny because like I keep people get a hold of me, and I keep telling people like, oh yeah, I'll be out there in June. Um, and then I'm realizing to myself, like, wait a minute. Uh, I've contacted probably like five or six really cool people in LA. Uh-huh. Um, I've got to be there for more than two days because there's no way I'm going to be able to hang out with all of them and spend time with That's them. That's cool with me. I'll spend a month out there with you. <laughs> uh, yeah, we, we can hang out. And there, there are just so many people there, but there's access to a lot of stuff too. And there's access to nice weather. And so people often say LA is not very walkable. I, I say anything that's 70 degrees all the time is walkable no matter where you are. Yeah. 
Um, and, and so, uh, but I was, I've been surprised by a lot of other cities too. When we were on tour, um, San Antonio w- was great. Salt Lake city. I absolutely love St. Petersburg is one of my favorite cities in Florida. Um, man, what else? What else? What else? Uh, San Francisco is obviously a, a great city. Yeah. Halifax, Canada, They're random, random places like that. You're like, I didn't that's know a, this would be so cool. Yeah. That's a pretty cool place. So we have a question from Fargo, North Dakota. Preston wants to, uh, wants to ask us something. Right now, I live in a very small, efficiency apartment, and I'm extremely happy in the small space. But in a few short months, I'll be getting married and moving into a two-bedroom house with my fiancé. And to be honest, I'm a little worried that all of the extra space will make our new home feel empty and a bit unwelcoming. I'm wondering uh, about how we can prepare what I'm wondering is how we can prepare for the move and what opportunities moving might bring to continue focusing on what really matters. Of course, in addition to my lovely new bride. Preston, what a what a good uh, what good foresight there, man. Planning ahead. Um, most of my relationships, when I've like moved in with the significant other, uh, usually don't plan this far ahead. Uh-huh. And then you know, there's like problems that happen as as you know. Because you didn't talk about essential, <laughs> right? Uh, As the situation develops, yes. Um, yeah, uh, no, I would say, uh, yeah, definitely talk with your partner about it, um, Preston. You and your partner need to decide the life you want to live. You got to ask yourself questions like, how many guests are we planning on having over at certain times? Uh, you know, if you've got a big family and you know you're gonna have a lot of people over, plan around that. Um, like me. I know that I'm going to have people coming through. Even though I lived in a loft apartment right now, mm-hmm. um, I have literally had, at most, I've had uh, one, two, three, four, five people staying, in addition to Mariah and I. Uh-huh. So seven total people in this loft apartment. Right. Um, so, I mean, I can still accommodate them, and I have enough dishes for them. Uh-huh. And Mariah and I plan accordingly for that. Josh, when's the last time you had five pe- five visitors at your place? Well, we, we had uh, Bex's mom and, and dad two nights ago. And so we plan for that. We have air mattress kind of thing, sure. and 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 that's it. But for me, I don't I don't really care to have guests over that often. Right. And so, <laughs> but so that's why it's important to ask those questions. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're, you and I are gonna have different answers. Maybe you and your partner will have a different answer. But asking these questions ahead of time will certainly help you plan better. Ask yourself other questions like you know what meals are we planning on cooking on a regular uh, basis? What are we going to be doing with our spare times? Uh, questions like this is what is really going to help you decide what is necessary. But yes, the most important part of this is to decide together uh, what the rules and uh, what the expectations of the house will be. And there isn't a right or wrong answer. I think the only way that it's wrong is if you're not considering each other's uh, opinions and consideration. Yeah, and then and then what's right today will certainly change in time. If you decide to have kids, or mm-hmm. if you decide to take on a new career, you may want to move somewhere else. It's about it's really important to continue talking about that. And those conversations are difficult. Uh, Becca and I have these difficult conversations all the time, and we'll just sit down now. I'll just say, hey, let's have a difficult conversation. Mm-hmm. 
and be, because we, we know that, that we're open to to change all the time and and we need to be we need to be cognizant of our shared circumstances but also what the the needs and desires of, of the other person are as well it's interesting as you were saying that Ryan I I was thinking about Frank from our, our documentary oh yeah the the minimalist architect what a cool uh, dude by the way if, if people want to see Ryan's loft you just go to the minimalists.com slash Nicodemus and you can take a, a tour that you won't see five people sleeping on the floor no. in in those pictures but you can you can get an idea of of that space and you can find my space uh, as as well over at the minimalists.com slash Milburn but I was thinking of Frank in in the documentary Ryan and he he used this word, and you, you were talking about with Preston about asking these questions, but Frank kept using this word. I don't think, think he even knew he was using it, but that word was appropriate. Mm. And so maybe what you need to ask yourself is what's appropriate for me and keep it in, in mind that as you start to combine a space together, what's going to be appropriate for the two of you is going to be different. So what's appropriate for us? And answering that question together is going to be really important. Another th- thing that, that Frank said, Ryan, that, that really stood out to me when we were talking to him sort of behind the scenes, he, um, he said w- when he builds a house for someone, when he designs a house for someone, he doesn't ask them, do you want a living room or do you want a dining room or do you want a third bedroom or do you want a three-car garage? Because most people are going to say yes to those things. Right. Because those are cultural assumptions. A third bedroom, yeah, that sounds great. Right. Can you work that in the plan? As opposed to realizing, well, that third bedroom means more costs or I'm forsaking space that I might actually use somewhere else, Mm, right? And so he says, I don't build a house around, around their life. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I build a house around their life. I don't try to cram a life into the house. Right. And I think that's too often what we're doing now is we we find a house and ah, I think that'll work, and then we try to cram a life into it. And Preston said a few things to me that are, are red flags. Whenever I, I think of those, yeah, the extra space thing re- really stood out to me when Preston talked about having this extra space. It's okay. Emptiness isn't necessarily extra space, and I think we need to become more comfortable with with having some some extra space there or having some emptiness and not thinking of it as extra space, just thinking of it as empty space. Mm. And I, I thought about some people who inspired me early on when we were going down this journey, and one of the guys who's also in the documentary is Leo Babalta, who has six kids and his wife Eva, and, and so the eight of them, and, and the kids are everywhere from college to elementary when I first started reading his website, which is called Zen Habits. And I found an essay from a while ago that I thought would be applicable for Preston's situation here. This one is called The Empty Container. Our lives get so complicated, not overnight, but gradually. The complication creeps up on us, one significant step at a time. Today I order something online. Tomorrow, someone gives me a gift. Then, I get a free giveaway. Then, I decide I need some new tools. One item at a time, the clutter accumulates because I'm not constantly purging the old. Today, I say yes to an email request. Tomorrow, I say yes to a party invitation. Then, I get asked to a quick cup of coffee. Then, I decide to be part of a project. One yes at a time, and soon my life is full, and I don't know how I got so busy. I look at a news site, then a social media site, then my email, then read an interesting article, then watch an online video someone sent me, and soon my day is gone and I didn't get much done. And my life 
gets eaten away by minuscule bites. How do we protect against this feature creep, this complication creep? We have to take a step back regularly. Instead of thinking, how can I get rid of this complicated mess? Let's ask, what if I started with a blank slate? If it were an empty container with limited space, what would you put in it? For me, I might put some playtime and reading time with my kids, coffee time and exercise time with my wife, some long walks and talks with good friends and close relatives, work that matters to me and that helps others, continual learning, and time alone to meditate and spend with my thoughts and a good book. Those are the things I'd put into my empty container because they feel right to me. What would you choose? Once we figured that out, We know what belongs in the container. Now we just need to constantly look at things and activities and requests and tasks and ask, is this one of my container items? Ryan, I I thought that was uh, powerful because he's basically moving into an empty container, right? And Mm. you get to decide what to fill it with. And just because you have something to put somewhere doesn't mean that is the appropriate item to put in that space. Mm. And so don't feel compelled to fill a space just because you have an extra room or a basement or entertainment room or, or, Oh man, there's a perfect spot for a TV right there. We should probably get a big TV. Right. Yeah. Right. That's, and, and exactly how I used to approach things. Right, because because it was there, right. you, you felt like it was empty. Empty, let, let's look at let, let's flip it around. Full means clutter. Mm. If you fill the space, maybe you're just cluttering the space. Mm. And if you empty the space, you're freeing yourself of that obligation. Yeah. And so, uh, Preston, I would love to send you a copy of our documentary. It's on Netflix if you haven't seen it already uh, and a bunch of other platforms. Uh, but we can send you the Vimeo copy. So there's an online version on Vimeo that has six hours of bonus content. So you can dive a little bit deeper into some of your favorite interviews. Or Sean, if he wants the, the DVD, if you reach out to him, he wants a DVD, you can send that to him as well. If we do send you the DVD, Preston, please make sure you minimize it afterward. You can give it to a friend or family member, someone else who, who will get value from it, or donate it to your local library so someone else can check it out and get that value from it as well. All right. Let's move on, Ryan. Our next question is from Bernie in Toronto. Bernie Canada. called in? <laughs> yeah, I don't know what he's doing in, in, in Canada. <laughs> but yeah, Bernie in Toronto, what, uh, what's your question? I am in the middle of a very, very challenging separation. Uh, looks like we are finally at a stage where there's a settlement uh, coming forward soon. I'm living in the house, matrimonial home, and I have two wonderful children and as we are probably getting to a stage where it's time to eliminate and minimize and plan for our new space together how can i help my kids to minimize and at the same time make it fun and make it a positive experience as to a horribly negative one um I think I've done a pretty good job so far of keeping the the issues at hand away from them. And now that we are at the stretch run, I want to make sure that this is not a horrible experience as they are going to be forced really to give up stuff. But I also want that to be our way of life going forward, that the things in our life matter, uh, the people in our life matter, and the things we do matter. So... Um, my son is 11, my daughter is 9, 
and I'm really looking forward to hearing what you have to say about this. First off, congratulations on your separation. I know that sounds weird to, to hear. It's a weird thing to say, but really what I mean by that is congratulations on moving in a new direction and trying to do so in a very positive way and influencing your kids positively through this as well. It can be very tricky and messy going through a, a divorce or a separation or a breakup, and especially tricky if you have uh, other dependents, uh, people who, who rely on you to to remain upbeat. You know, th- their mood is going to be dictated often by by your mood, and they're going to be watching. And so you, you want to be a positive influence for them, clearly, and you're, you're asking the right questions here. So bravo, Bernie. Uh, a few things here that, that, that came to my mind. First off, when you talked about how do I help them move forward, well, I think the the first thing you want to do is don't don't just focus on the decluttering. Kids don't find any value in getting rid of their stuff usually. They're going to find value in what you are bringing into their new life or their new home or their new space, their new bedroom. And quite often that, that is built around experiences. And so I, when I, I think of Ella's room at, at our house, she has a guitar, uh, which we got her for Christmas. She has a bed. She has a rug. It's like one of her favorite toys uh, is just her rug because she can roll around on it, uh, which is silly. <laughs> uh, and speaking of toys, so here are a couple stats for you on toys when you're, when you're thinking about, about kids uh, uh, and what they play with and what they need and what they use and what they want. A big difference between what they want and, and what they need, obviously. So there's some research that shows that your average 10-year-old, so about your kid's age there, Bernie, owns uh, 238 toys. This is in, in England, actually. So it's probably much more in the United States. Wow. So 238 toys. But here, here's the thing. They play with only 12 toys daily. So that that is what? 5% of their toys they play with on a daily basis? Now, we had a, a reader call into the podcast a while ago and, and left a tip she talked about having seven – she has seven different bins for her kids, a Monday bin, a Tuesday bin, a Wednesday bin, and so forth. And the kids play with the, the Monday bin on Mondays, right? And then they have to put everything back at the end of the day. And it keeps everything so clutter-free but allows them to have this variety. So you could have uh, you could have seven different bins with 12 different toys in each or whatever the, the appropriate number is for you. It's, I'm not prescribing a particular number. And, and that could be a great way to create a space that they use and, and have some meaningful experiences with them. Here's another uh, stat that was staggering to me, Ryan. 3.1% of the, wor- uh, of the world's children live in the United States. So only about 3% of the, of the children in the world live in the United States. But they own 40% of the toys consumed globally. My goodness. So three, and we wonder three <laughs> percent of the kids, almost half of the toys in the world. Wow, that is like total alignment with uh, you know, the stat of if everyone in the world consumed like the United States, we would need, you know, over four Earths it, to well, maintain our unchecked consumption and that's we start them when they're young. Right. And it's wow. even worse when they're young. These greedy kids have 40% of the toys. <laughs> and I think it's all the kids' fault. No, of course it's not. No. I mean, who's buying? These, these kids can't go get toys on their own. Every time Ella asks me for something, I say, who's going to pay for it? How are you going to afford that? Like, I'm asking, I start asking questions that at least I try to get her to think down, down that path of, of more intentional consumption. And of course, I'm not going to get the, the most profound answer from her at, at age three, but by planting the seed early and, and frequently, uh, I think it'll sprout into into an intentionality that lasts a a, a lifetime. Hopefully, 
And so those are some things that I, I would I would think about. Also, uh, going back to Leo from from our documentary and from ZenHabits.net, he has another essay. We'll put links to all of these in the show notes. By the way, if you want the show notes in your in your email inbox, you can just sign up for our email newsletter at theminimalists.com. Just enter your email address at the top there, and we will make sure that you, these show notes show up in your inbox whenever we put out a new episode. But this uh, this Leo wrote a long essay. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but he wrote an essay called A Guide to Creating a Minimalist Home. And I think that's the perfect, uh, mm. uh, a perfect article for moving. Moving is the time you're creating a new space, a new home for you and or your family. And he talks about some of the benefits of having a, a minimalist home being less stressful. The home itself is more aesthetically pleasing or appealing. And it's much easier to clean, right? And he talks about what does a, a minimalist home look like? And he goes through some, some things here that I'll read real quick. First thing he says is... Um, uh, this would vary, of course, depending on your taste and how extreme of a minimalist you want to be. I am a minimalist, but not to any extreme, is what he says. But here are some characteristics of a minimalist home. So this is just, just broad characteristics. It's not a prescription. Uh, number one, minimalist furniture. A minimalist room would only contain a few essential pieces of furniture. A living room, for example, might have only a couch. Uh, another chair or a love seat, a coffee table, a minimalist entertainment stand, not a huge one with a bunch of shelves, a television maybe, and a couple lamps. It could even contain less, couch, chairs, and a coffee table, for example. Yeah, if you go take a look at, at my home, you'll see it's, it's pretty minimal. We have a, a sofa and, and a chair. Could we have fewer items? Yeah, absolutely. But we're not ascetics. We're not monks. I don't want to own nothing at all. I don't want the space to be completely empty, but I have the things that are appropriate for our our space. Uh, next thing he talks about, number two, clear surfaces. This was something that, so in our documentary, Graham Hill, we, we were talking to him about this, and one of the things that really stood out to me, he says he likes to have as few flat surfaces in a house as, in, in a house as possible mm. because those are magnets for clutter. We just feel like we have to set, there's a flat surface, we have to set something down on top of it yeah. in, in the home. And, and so uh, having fewer flat surfaces, fewer things where, where you can basically accumulate junk, right? So having clear surfaces. In a minimalist home, flat surfaces are clear except for one or two decorations, uh, which he says, see the next item. There are not a whole bunch of knickknacks and definitely not stacks of books or papers or other items. Uh, number three, he said, uh, uh, decorations. A home completely clear of things would be a bit boring, actually. So instead of having a coffee table completely free of any objects, you could have a simple vase with a few flowers, for example. Or a clear desk might have a family photo. An otherwise empty wall might have a tasteful piece of art. So uh, using... Uh, Filling the space with items that are not just appropriate for you, but but pleasant for you. What what brings you joy, but also not feeling obligated to fill the space, I think is important. Mm. What you talked about earlier, there's a good space for a TV. I'm obligated to put a TV there. Like I no. literally can remember when I bought a 16-inch TV because oh. there was a nice empty space above the fireplace. <laughs> and, and you feel like you had to do it. <laughs> I, I remember like, that. That's when you were living in Springboro, right? Yeah, yeah. I was like, man, this is a perfect spot for a TV. I've never had a big TV before. I'll go... Go do that. Yeah, yeah it's, it was and you, in the world we were in. It was go big or go home, right? right. And so I actually wrote something a little bit uh, about this in uh, my my, health, my most recent house tour at theminimalists.com slash Milburn. If you're if you're going through this tour, you might say, "Where's the artwork?" And what I wrote is, "It's all around us in the architecture, the plants, the furniture, the books, uh, the music in the air." 
No, I'm not opposed to paintings on my wall, but I also don't feel obligated to hang a frame on drywall to feel complete. I am complete, as are you, even in an empty room. The stuff, then, only augments that which is already whole. Besides, there is a functionally infinite amount of art at the museums I frequent. And we talked about that on the last episode, Ryan. You talked about let the curators curate. Mm. Curator's going to curate. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, l- letting other people curate. And then don't feel obligated, but have stuff because you, you, you feel that it is necessary for your space. Now, necessary doesn't mean that it is just a tool. Tools can be great, but it can also mean that it just amplifies your, your, your experience. It makes it a more significant experience. And, and so if you want artwork all over your walls because that really brings you joy, great. But don't feel like it's necessary just because someone else tells you it is. Dude, that was the biggest criticism of my uh, – which is funny because like, we get criticism all the time. But on the house tour, uh-huh. like I got a lot of criticism of – well, I just saw people post on Facebook. Not like anyone messaged me directly, but oh my goodness. Like those walls are so blank. Uh-huh. I could never live in a home with no art. The funny thing is, is first off, I do have art, mm-hmm. <laughs> and there actually is like one. You can see one of the things hanging on the yeah, wall. You have much more pictures. art than I do. Yeah, um, but uh, the pictures that I took, um, like the pic- the art is like just out of the frame. But uh-huh. anyway, um, just to your point of just because you know a, a, p- a painting doesn't add value to your life, uh-huh. it may add value to my life, right? Um, but I think where we get caught up in cluttering our homes is, you know, going back to that obligation of, well, there's an empty space. Well, maybe we should put a big painting there. And yeah, you're right. Like we don't necessarily have to do that. I really like Bernie's question here about the kids because, you know, he's, he asked like, how do I, you know, how do I make this fun for my kids? And the first thing I thought of was Bernie, your, your kids, I promise you, they, they love to contribute whether or not they know it or not. Uh, your kids will will totally get on board with contribution. Basic so, human need. Yeah. So how do you make it fun? Take them to a, a soup kitchen or or go to a food bank. Kids love to help. They love to see. I, I promise you, you. Take them to a soup kitchen. They would love to see the smiling faces of the the homeless folks going through the line, getting free food, getting a meal. Uh, they're gonna feel really really uh, good about that. In addition to that, you can ask them if they'd be willing to give up some of their things to people who are less fortunate. I know a lot of parents who have done that with their kids, and the kids jump on it. Uh, they may not you know, be willing to fill a 50-gallon garbage bag full of toys, although I have uh, seen that happen. Uh-huh. Um, but certainly the kid will at least say, uh, yes, let, let, let me think of one or two things that I can donate and give to some kids that are less fortunate. So yes, help them see the joy in in giving. And you know, if you have to make this extreme change, Bernie, like if this is happening next week, um, you know, changing their attitudes is, uh, you know, I'm going to be honest, it's not going to be easy. Like you can't, if you've been raising them a certain way for, you know, nine years and 11 years, you're not going to be able to uh, just turn their attitude around in a week. But what you can do is be honest with them. And you can explain to your children uh, why the circumstances are changing and why the space is getting smaller and how this is going to not just benefit you, but benefit them and, and the entire family and ask for their support. Ask them to help you through this tough time. Uh, you know, kids, um, I don't think we give them enough credit for, uh, you know, wanting to, to, to help us out or to support the family. Um, you know, cause it, you know, you think of a nine year old, you're like, oh, well, you know, they're just worried about video games and whatever else. Sure. But if you talk to a kid like an adult, like you, I think you'd be surprised on the reaction uh, that you get from them. So talk to your kids about what changes need to be made 
and and ask if they're willing to get involved and help you support them. And then, you know, at the end of the day, Bernie, they're looking at you. They are they are looking to you as a role model. So by far, you've got to set the example. You've got to show them, hey, this is what dad has given up. Uh, this is what I am planning to uh, do moving forward, and I really need your help uh, to, uh, to, do, to help me do this. So living by example um, is, is definitely going to by far be the best way to, get to, to curb your, your children's uh, habits. Um, but you know, going back to that contribution thing, um, certainly that will help them see the joy in, in kind of giving up things as well. I, I think that what's nice about that, Ryan, is it also helps them with perspective, gives them that, that other – that other view into a different world, you know, because like you said, going to a soup kitchen or a food bank, you're going to deal w- with, with people that, that are maybe outside of the kid's comfort zone. But outside of the bubble. Yeah, absolutely. Get, getting them outside of the bubble, giving them a, a new perspective. And to just agree with what you just said about they're watching you, meaning they're also watching your excitement. So when, mm. we, when we moved to the home that we're in now, Bex was super excited about going to this place, and Ella saw that excitement. And so she was so excited about moving mm. in, into this new space, even though it's not an appreciably different experience from what she had before. It's, it, uh, it, it's not a crazy different home, and, and so it's not like she's moving into some mansion with marble floors or something. No, it's a very basic home, but she saw her mother's excitement, mm. and, and so she mimicked that. And if her mom was stressed out about moving, she would have been stressed out too. Yeah. She may have not had the vocabulary to say, I'm stressed out, but you would have, you would have seen her, you would have seen it in her physiology. The, the last thing that I see here that I, I wanted to share that this made me think of, our, our friend Joshua Becker, who's also in, in our documentary, he and his wife Kim have two kids and live in the suburbs. And he wrote a book called Clutter Free with Kids, but he has an essay on, on his website, which we'll put a link to in our show notes. It's called How to Become a Minimalist with Children. And I'm just going to read some highlights here because this is pretty long, but I just want to go through the highlights and we'll let you take a look at the whole essay via our show notes. He says, the minimalist life holds benefits for all. Numbers of parents think a minimalist lifestyle is simply out of reach because they have children as if the two are somehow incompatible. But that is not the case. As I explained in my book, Clutter Free with Kids, the principles of minimalism are completely within reach no matter how many children you have or where you live. And not only is minimalism completely possible with children, it is a lifestyle filled with benefits for your children. Since becoming a minimalist, I have been continually amazed at some of the lessons my two young children have learned. Over the past years, they have learned, I'm not going to read all these lessons, but I'll read the highlights here. Uh, Number one, that we don't need to buy things to be happy. And then he goes out and expands on, on what he means by that. Number two, that we don't need to live life like everyone else. Number three, that we live within our means. Number four, that we think carefully about our purchases. Number five, that we gladly share. So what you were just talking about, Ryan, we gladly share with others. What I would say is give. We're giving. Mm. Uh, the next point is that clutter is a drag. If you, if you can help your kids understand that. Ella was this week, I think I tweeted this from her at Ella Sandwich Twitter account. Um, uh, she was trying to donate her pills or her, her vitamins. She has these the vitamins that we give her at night. I, wanna, I don't want it. I want to donate these vitamins. And, <laughs> and so, you know, we, we take it a bit. She, she understands. I love the, how the she benefits. uses the donation as leverage to do things she doesn't want to do. <laughs> yeah, totally. She wants to donate the kale on her plate. Right. Um, 
Yeah, so uh, learning that clutter is a drag. Uh, next point is that we love spending time with our kids. So by getting the clutter out of the way, you make time for the people around you. And mm. the last point here is uh, that we are in control of our stuff. That's one of the biggest benefits for anyone, no matter where you are in the socioeconomic ladder, is you're regaining control uh, of your life because you're no, le- no longer letting the stuff control you. Mm. And he goes on to say, minimalism with children is entirely possible. However, it does require a little more effort, a little more thoughtfulness, and a lot more patience. As you embark or continue on the journey, here are some practical steps to consider. Number one, explain your decision. And he goes into detail on that. Number two, uh, begin minimizing your possessions first, your possessions first, right? Uh, Number three, Remove the items they do not use first. So the items that they just haven't used, you basically don't want to go into the room and say, oh, you're playing that guitar? Give it to me. We're getting rid of it. We're donating it. If you've got a tricycle sitting in the shed that hasn't been used in two years, you could probably go ahead and get rid of that. Yes, exactly. Uh, Number four, focus on the positive. So we talked about that earlier. If if you're excited, they're going to be excited. Number five, treat them to fun experiences. Okay, so owning experiences instead of owning the stuff, right? Number six, Choose your purchases carefully going forward and teach that to them as well. When you're bringing something new into your life, so when you're letting go of something, what do you ask? Does this add value to my life? When you're bringing something new into your your life or to your family's life, is this going to add value to our lives? And ask your kids that as well. Uh, number uh, uh, number seven, uh, teach them about gift giving. Uh, a few things I would encourage you to go back and listen to here is we have an entire podcast on gift giving uh, that Ryan and I recorded a couple months ago. You can go back into our, our podcast feed at theminimalists.com slash podcast and, and check out the gift giving episode. Also, way, way, way back was episode number three. We did an entire uh, podcast on, on children. And, the, and then I did a podcast episode, uh, number 45, on parenting. So I think there's some additional advice. You'll, you'll find some value in there. And the last, thing, uh, last, last uh, tip he has here is be patient. Be patient with your family. Offer them plenty of time to adjust to minimalism rather than being pushed into it. Minimalism is a lifestyle that needs to be believed in and adopted. Show them plenty of patience. And after all, if it took you 30 years to adopt the minimalist lifestyle, it would be foolish to assume they will adopt it in 30 minutes or even 30 days. Do you remember the guy who brought his daughter in Atlanta uh, back in 2014? And he was like, I'm here for you to talk my daughter in and to help her un- or talk her into and help her understand why I went ahead and threw away all her stuff when she was like gone at school or something. And I was oh, like, man. I'm like, oh, I don't think we're going to be able to convince your daughter why that was the right decision because that's probably the worst way to get someone to uh, agree to be a minimalist or to downsize is to just throw away their stuff. In it's, fact, it's like a weird passive-aggressive confrontation. Yeah, like it could be even worse. And I'm not like I'm not knocking this guy. Like he seemed like a very good father. Like I hey, mean, good intentions. Yeah, absolutely, good intentions. Um, so you know, I don't, I don't if he's listening to this. Like I, I think you had the best intentions and in the and in, in your heart was into it. Um, but yeah, I this? certainly would not recommend that strategy. How about how about this the uh, the the road to discontent is cluttered with good intentions. <laughs> <laughs> that's genius. Yeah. Write that down, Sean. Yep. Uh, that we'll, should be one of our minimal maxims for later, right? We'll tweet that later. Uh, so, so I think 
I think that essay will help you out. But then also, uh, Bernie, I know, know you're going through a difficult time. It's a, a difficult transition, the separation. That's why I said congratulations. I want to reframe this for you. Ryan and I have both been through divorces in, in our life, and we made it, out to, made it to the other side better. In fact, I have a great relationship with my former spouse now. I just saw her last month. We, I was back in Dayton, Ohio, and we met up, and she has two little twins now, and her and her, her new husband have... Uh, four kids, uh, two are his from a previous marriage, and I had, they have two together, and we get along really well, and I didn't know that was always going to be the case, and you know, they say time heals all wounds, and, and that may or may not be true, but we made it out to the other side better people because of it, and our relationship is actually better than what it was when we were married, and so Ryan and I wrote a book uh, back in, in 2012, and it came out in 2014, uh, we spent a couple of years writing. It was about this five-year journey of our lives, and this, trans- this huge transition we made. Uh, we were in the corporate world, uh, and then my, my mother died. My marriage ended both in the same month, and, and this tailspin forced me to a, a new but better lifestyle. And uh, that book's called Everything That Remains. It's, it's a memoir, and it's my favorite thing that we've, we've ever created, and I'd love to send you a, a copy of that, Bernie, either the, the print book or the uh, e-book of that, or if you wait a little bit, we have a new audiobook version from the very talented Justin Mollick is, is recording that. It's uh, We did it in a very interesting way. It's 216 pages, uh, so about 200 pages, let's say, and, and it's written from my point of view, but throughout the book, there are 100 um, interruptions from Ryan, so uh, you'll, you'll see that He's constantly interjecting and giving his perspective, his point of view, and uh, I just really enjoyed uh, creating that, and I think a lot of people have found value in that, and I hope you do too, Bernie. Our next question is from Deaton, also in Toronto, Canada. I'm moving to the west coast of Canada to little Victoria Island, uh, sorry, Vancouver Island um, on the edge of the Pacific. I'm going back to school. Um, My question is, how can I do this move um, in a way where I'm not taking too much stuff, um, but also not leaving uh, a lot of stuff behind. I don't want to go there and end up not having things that I need, and I also don't want to get rid of a bunch of stuff that I may want, like my record collection, all my books. So, yeah, how can I do this move? Um, yeah, taking enough stuff that I need. This is the perfect time to be asking these questions. You are going to be in a really good spot. I can tell you, Ryan, when, when we are out on the road and, and so many people come up to us, and they're in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, and they'll look back and they'll say, you know what the best time of my life was? When I was driving off to a faraway college and everything I owned fit into the vehicle I was driving. Those were the best times of my life. And I look at it and I say, well, you can get back to that. There's nothing stopping you from getting back to that other than making the decision to let go of that stuff. So you're actually at a really great great time here. You're, you're traveling from the east coast of Canada, well, almost east coast, the, the Midwest, Toronto, uh, all the way over to Vancouver Island over in Victoria, uh, which is a beautiful city, by the way. And, and you get to make this, this journey. I think it's down Highway 1. You'll be driving through. Uh, it's one of the best drives, though, man. It's really during good. The, during the summer, it's one of the best drives. Yeah, if you're going there in the winter, it's, going to, it's, it's a bit more <laughs> difficult. Uh, driving through, through Manitoba and Saskatchewan midwinter, man, they, those people in, in those provinces, they are they're brave. Mm. They, they, they brave some, some 
cold, cold winter. They make Montana look like Florida. And uh, anyway, uh, so, so you're, you're going to be driving west, and this is the opportunity to reframe this as the best time of your life because everything that you're going to bring with you is going to fit into your car. And so you need to ask yourself, because you're trying to figure out what do I need, ask yourself that. What do I need? And I'm going to send you a copy of our book, Essential. It's an essay collection with 150 essays. And one of the essays in there, there's a whole chapter in there about stuff, by the way. And I think that's the chapter that's going to resonate most with you. But one of the essays in there is called Need, Want, Like. And it's, it's basically taking any possessions that you own and putting them into one of three categories. I'm going to read a quick excerpt from that really quick. Maybe you're dying to do something different with your life. Maybe you want to discover your mission, change careers, or take a midlife sabbatical. But it doesn't seem sensible to make a big change, to do something different, does it? You're tired of your soul-crushing job, fettered to an income you've become accustomed to. It has a stranglehold on your life. But you can break free of the shackles of unnecessary obligation and its laundry list of side effects, Stress, debt, discontent, anxiety, depression. The two of us took back control of our lives with a simple three-category list. You can do likewise. First, da- first, write down all your expenses. Every last dollar you spend. Mortgage, car payment, rent, credit card statements, meals, gasoline, electricity, student loans, bottled water, trips to Starbucks, retirement, health care, savings, etc. Write it all down. All of it. Now, separate those expenses into three categories. And I'm going to want you to do the same thing here with your stuff, right? Because those are also expenses. They're monetary expenses, but they also take up a lot of time and attention, cleaning and maintenance, etc. So category one, these are your needs. What do you really, truly need to live? Everyone is different, but most of us have the same basic needs. What do you need? Food, shelter, Super Nintendo, Be honest with yourself, by the way. Category two is uh, the wants category. This category is important. Many of the things you want can lead to meaning or happiness. The problem is that we indulge in too many of our wants, new vehicles, designer clothes, and impulse buys, many of which end up being likes instead of wants. Another way to look at this category is by asking yourself that famous question of ours, what adds value to your life? Those are your wants. So you don't necessarily need them, but you're going to want them, right? I've got this, uh, this nice water bottle that in front of me here that I use every single day, and it does certainly add value to my life. Do I absolutely need this thing? Not necessarily if I couldn't afford it, but it, it definitely adds value to my life. And so this is a, a want for me, right? And so category three is your, your likes category. This category is for when you say things like, yeah, I like my satellite radio, but I don't get a ton of value from it. Or, I like that dress. It's so my style, but I don't really need any new clothes. Many of the things we just sort of like suck up a ton of our income, and it's hard to notice during our consumer-driven frenzies. These likes are often impulse purchases that feel great in the moment, but the post-purchase high wears off by the time the credit card statement enters your mailbox. It's an odd double bind. It turns out that you don't really like many of your likes at all. You've made your list. You've got your three categories, and now it's time to take action. We'll start from the bottom and work, the, work our way up. This is what we did before we were ready to make any big life changes. So 
Uh, month one, here's what Ryan and I did. And you're going to have to do these quickly if you're moving. Uh, but I got rid of 100% of my likes. 100% of my likes. Very difficult. But all of them were gone. Month two, this one's the most difficult, by the way. I got rid of 100% of my ones. This is because I was trying to get out of debt. And, and, and for me, getting rid of my wants at first, it was, it was difficult. So I'm going to read this to you real quick. Yes, I got rid of all of them at first. Once you're headed down the right path and you've made the necessary changes in your life, you can reintroduce your wants one at a time. Here's the cool part though, Ryan. You'll likely realize that you want far fewer of your old wants because many of them were pacifiers. And that was cool for me. Like if you got rid of all the wants and you realize, oh, some of these are actually likes. Right. And they, are, they, are, they weren't adding the same value I thought they were. And uh, month three, I reduced my needs by 50%. Now, that sounds crazy for some people. Now, do I say you have, to, you have to do that? No, you don't have to do anything. You can keep all your stuff. But it's possible. It is certainly possible. I moved to a smaller apartment. I reduced my electricity, stopped using you know, air conditioning as much. I mean, there, there were things that I did that I reduced my needs because you still need these things, but you can, you can downsize in a way that is appropriate for you. And it's going to be uncomfortable at first. But to me, that really helped me better appreciate the, the, the things I have. And then as I brought, once I got out of debt, I was able to start bringing those once back into my life. And man, I got so much more value from them because I was doing so, so deliberately. And so I think the, she, she's in a really good spot right now where she gets to, to determine what does she really need? What does she truly want? And what does she think she just likes? And then, you know, with the other thing that I, I would talk about is, the the packing party she's doing a packing party now right so for those who aren't familiar you can check out ryan's packing party he boxed up everything he owns and unpacked only the items he needed over 21 days you can see that at the minimalists.com slash packing we'll put a link to that in the show notes as well and you're you're forcing yourself into your own little packing party let's have some fun with it and unpack only the items you need once you've moved across the country you know i've had uh, mentoring clients do this where they'll send me their likes, wants, needs. Mm -hmm. And just to speak to you, it is totally possible to get get rid of some of the needs because I've had, you know, mentoring clients who have Wi-Fi, but then they have like two additional like internet data cards on their cell phone account under their needs list. Oh, wow. And and they may feel like they need it. Like, I mean, that's... We trick ourselves a lot to think we need things right. that we don't. <clears throat> and, you know, talking them through it, it's like, oh, wow, like you don't, you have Wi-Fi at home. Uh, there's also Wi-Fi around. If you absolutely need to stop and get Wi-Fi somewhere, you could probably stop at a Starbucks or um, even a library or a bookstore or something who has free Wi-Fi. You don't have to have this data card, uh, you know, this 40 or 45. I don't know what, you know, what the price is now. This was a few years ago uh, of the example that I'm thinking. But, but yeah, just to your point of even though we have this list of needs, uh, we could certainly even trim that down. I'll tell you, Deaton, you could do what I did when I moved out to Montana, uh, which is I'd put everything I could in my car, and there were still a few items I had left over, uh, like a bed and some boxes of like random kitchen utensils slash, you know, uh, just kitchen items like boxes, like half boxes of cereal and just stuff that like I thought, man, you know, I don't plan on going out to Montana for four years, which yeah, is our plan what was we're coming up for, on now. Four months. Yeah, I was, we were going to so be... At, we were going to 
potentially move. We weren't certain, but we were potentially going to move back to Dayton, Ohio. Yeah, so I'm like, all right, I'm probably going to need a bed when I come back to Dayton, Ohio. I'm probably, you know, this stuff isn't going to expire, these cans of food, whatever. So um, I got a hold of my grandma, and I was able to, like, store stuff in her garage uh, temporarily. Um, I came back six months later, realizing, like, oh, wow, I'm going to stay in Montana for a while. And I went to my grandma's garage, and... uh, I literally like sold everything in that garage. And there was some like really, really like important sentimental stuff there. Like I had this chair that I, it was the first big purchase that I made. I was 18 years old. I was working for my dad. I got, you know, had saved up a few hundred bucks and there was this like antique chair that I really, really, really loved. And it was 300 bucks. And I'm like, God, like I've never spent this kind of money, but it's a really nice chair and I'll have it forever. And I, I had it for a long time. I had it for, God, I mean, when when did we move out to Montana? I mean, those four years ago. So I'd have been 31 years old. I had that chair uh, since I was 18. So, uh, you know, what is that, 13 years that I had that chair? It it meant a lot to me. And actually, people who would come over to my house, my my long-term friends, um, every time they saw that chair, they would always be like, man, that is such a beautiful chair there, man. You know, that was a really good purchase. And um, I remember uh, getting rid of that chair for $40. Mm. And it was one of the most like frightening things, but also one of the most freeing things. And I would I would mm. say it was more freeing than it was frightening. Yeah. Because just putting that chair back in my car to drive back to Montana wouldn't have been plausible. I mean, maybe I could have squeezed it in there, but it would have been ridiculous. And there wasn't room for it in, in our new place. So so uh you could do what I did mm-hmm. and uh store some stuff with your grandma's or, you know, worse, uh get a storage unit and, and spend, you know, a, a a price each month keeping that stuff stored and then when you get home, regret it later. Um <laughs> <laughs> I, I would not yeah, yeah, I would not recommend doing what I did. It, you know, even me being the minimalist, this was the approach I took and it was the wrong approach. Yeah. Um so well, you know what though, I I think it may have been the right if you were because we weren't certain whether or not we were going to move back. Now, Deaton's probably going to be gone for four years. Yeah, so, it was so. wrong. It was the wrong approach. Hindsight, yeah, right, yeah. right. But but you just said something to me that was really profound. Like, uh, you said it was it was frightening and, and, and freeing at the same time. So maybe freedom is frightening. Mm, yeah, and I think, I think to many of us, may, maybe that we are are scared of freeing ourselves of of these obligations or clutter or this discontent. And the weird thing about that is if you look at, at someone's physiology, it's and you can also look at neural imaging scans and something that's terrifying appears the same way physiologically and neurologically as something that's exciting. So instead of freedom being frightening, maybe freedom is exciting. Yeah. Well, you know what? That's a good point, man, because when I got rid of that chair and I was like, Wow, this is it, it was the hardest sentimental item I've ever had to get rid of. Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly. And I just remember, you know, the guy hauling it away and he was the happiest dude. Mm. He was like, "Man, he's like my wife is going to love this chair." I mean, he was like really going to get a lot of val- way more value than what I was going to get out of it. Mm-hmm. And like that alone kind of helped me get through uh get get through that that feeling of letting go. But, you know, she brought up her record collection you know, the question is, is like, do you, I don't know how many records she has. Let's say she's got a box of records. Right. So she's going off to college for four years. Right. Those records are going to sit for four years. Uh-huh. Well, she could like loan those to someone at least. Yeah. To get some value out of them. Or if she's going to use them, bring, if she's really going to enjoy from them, bring yeah, it out with you. Absolutely. Absolutely. They could be artwork. They can be, I mean, you, you can do all kinds of stuff. If you're going to use those records, great. If you're not going to use them though, then they're, they're, they're probably just in the way for you. Yeah. 
And so I'll just say this. Congratulations. You're, you're in the middle of the most exciting time of your life, and it can keep being the most exciting time. It doesn't mean this has to be some sort of peak or, or pinnacle in your life. You have the opportunity to keep that going. I hope you enjoy that copy of Essential. It's the essay collection we're going to send to you. Uh, Sean, if you either send her the book version or we do have the audiobook version. It's out there on Audible now. If you have any download codes for that, we could uh, give her the audiobook version. Maybe she can listen to it on that long drive down Highway 1. All right, our next question is from Ivy in Clifton, New Jersey. Last summer, my mom was moving, and she um, just came over one day, and she brought about three bins filled with stuff from my childhood and also stuff that were things that were important to her, like her wedding dress from her and my father's marriage, her honeymoon dress, like all of these important heirlooms that she felt she wanted to pass on to me, but she didn't have the space to hold on to it. So I feel so strange, like, getting rid of it because I don't want it, and she knows that I don't want it. I told her um, as she was dropping it off, but I feel wrong and, like, donating it or giving it away or I don't know what to do. Um, I almost feel like giving it back to her. I don't know. I need help. Josh, it always cracks me up, man, when we have situations like this from from listeners or readers where their parents have decided what should be important to them. Mm. Here, here's what should be important to you, daughter or son. Here's all these things. Uh, that I was holding on for you. Mm-hmm. Now take them, mm-hmm. and they're your responsibility now. Mm-hmm. Well, what that does is it creates exactly in Ivy's case here this feeling of having to take care of these sentimental items. Right. Um, I just want to like throw an extreme example out there. What if her mom just dropped off like a, a horde of puppies? <laughs> <laughs> hey, I saw these puppies. I thought they'd really add value to your life. Here's all these puppies. We've actually had that before. I don't know if you remember this. We we had someone at one of our events say that. Um, it was a family member just left their dog there. I, I can't take care of this anymore, and, and left the dog with them. Yeah, and you know it, it's not. Um, you know, I don't want to sound like calloused here. Like you know, those puppies' lives are very important. I'm not saying that like, oh, just you know, send them off to the meat factory. Like that's right. not what I'm saying. Right, right. But certainly, like, if my mom just like dropped a dog off at my house. I would go out of my way to find it a good home, but I certainly wouldn't just keep a dog and take care of it right. because someone bought it for me. Yeah, and, and, and because that's what, exactly what you have to do. You, with, with a pet, we realize that we have to take care of it. Certainly. It's, it's a necessity. I would take care of it until I found it a good home. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. But we realize like you can't just say, well, thanks for dropping that off. I'm going to put it in the closet. Right. But realizing with stuff, we also have to take care of it too. Taking care of it means something different. It's not a, a it's an inanimate object, but we still have to take care of the thing. We, the maintenance uh, cost, the, the the space cost, the time and attention, the emo- I mean, clearly there's a huge emotional cost here for Ivy. I mean, she's she's worried enough to call in, and she, you know, she says, "I need help." Yeah. And and so yeah, I Ryan, I think that that she she asked me, "Do I give it back to my mom?" I think you give her a chance to reclaim it first. You don't just want to go donate this stuff give her a chance to get it back mm-hmm. you know you, you mentioned it's like an old wedding dress i have no idea how you would get much value from that personally but what would ma- you do josh if i gave you my old wedding dress <laughs> <laughs> oh man so if you gave me a wedding dress um 
I would give you an opportunity to take it back immediately. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I mean, the nice thing between between me and Ryan is we have a very candid relationship. And if he tried to give me something that I didn't want, I would just say I don't want that. But it took a lot of time to build up that relationship, sure. right? And so you're going to have to not repair this relationship, but move your relationship in a direction to where you can be open and you can be honest. Because, yes, your mother found value in these and she expects you to find value in those. But that is an unfair expectation of her yeah. but she doesn't realize that no. so you don't want to go back to her and say this is an unfair expectation I what do you believe- think you were doing mom yeah who do you think you are don't do that no no you you want to be supportive of her and say you know i know i know that you get a lot of value from these things but given my current circumstances i don't i do want to give you the opportunity to take these back if you think you'll find value from them if not i'll be happy to to help you find a new home for for many of these items and and not, don't just explain the what, though, right? Don't, don't just explain the, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get rid of your stuff, or you have to take it back. That's the what, and that's important, but not nearly as important as the why. The why is, here's why I don't find value in these things, and here's what I do find value in. And part of that's our relationship and our communication and our willingness to talk to each other about things like this. Explain the why, and the what will become a whole lot easier for you. Yeah, so you go to your mom, and you say, you know, Mom, I love you, and I know you love me. And I know that you thought I would get a ton of value from these things, but these things are actually adding more stress to my life than they are value. Mm, be- your mom doesn't want that. Right. And, and, I, and I know that you want me to be happy, and I know you want me to live uh, as stress-free of a life as possible. And I know your, your heart was in the right place, but I'm going to have to um, uh, remove some of these things from my home. Would you like me to bring them back to your home, or would you rather me find uh, a, a nice place to give these to or f- find, find them a better home than yours or my home? Yeah, exactly. And last thing I, I would recommend here, so we, we go into, your, your mom may see this as a gift, right? She, she's giving you some sort of gift because you don't have to wait till a holiday to give someone a gift. You're giving someone a thing. She may look at it as, as a sort of gift giving or gift giving by proxy. And Ivy, I would encourage you to go back and maybe listen to, you can listen to this answer with, with your mother. I'm happy to, to, uh, to be the, the bearer of good news here. Uh, but you can go back and listen to the, our gift giving episode in our podcast feed as well. I think you'll find uh, immense value from that. And, and we also talk a lot about relationships because this is not, this isn't necessarily a, a gift giving matter or a material possession matter. This is an improving your relationship matter. And if you can, if you can improve the way you communicate with your mother, the, 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 long-term communication about stuff is is going to become easier over time. Now, just like we talked about earlier, don't expect them in 30 minutes to transition to your way of thinking. It's taken your mother 40, 50, 60, 70 years, however old that person is, to transition to or to, to accumulate their current way of thinking. And moving, pivoting slightly in your direction is going to take a little bit of time. Ryan and I wrote a book called Minimalism, Live a Meaningful Life. And talks about the five values that we have uncovered, the five higher order values. I'd love to send you a copy of that book because one of those values is relationships. And we go, we dive really deep into loving, caring, understanding, trusting, accepting, tolerating, respecting, and, and, and ultimately appreciating the other person and, and finding ways to understand that person and the way they live, even though it's different from you. So uh, Sean, if you can send Ivy a copy of that book, or if she wants the Audible version, that just came out as well. Uh, you can send her an Audible download code if we if we have any left. All right, y'all, we'd love to hear what you have to say. So if you have a comment about moving or boxing up stuff or 
any of the questions that we, we covered today, including minimalism tips for how you handle moving, then leave us a voicemail, 406-219-7839. We'll air our favorite comments and tips on the next episode. And here's a tip for you. Write down your message before you call. It will help you articulate your point and increase your chance of being on the show. Okay, let's move on to our hashtag Ask the Minimalists lightning round, where we answer questions from social media. We are on Twitter and Instagram at The Minimalists and Facebook.com slash The Minimalists. During uh, this lightning round, Ryan and I do our best to answer each question with just a short, shareable, less than 140-character response. We'll also put the text to these minimal maxims in the show notes so you can copy and share our pithy answers on social media if you'd like. Our first question is from Lisa. Where do you suggest looking for packing slash moving boxes for free or relatively cheap? I don't want to spend a lot to move. Well, I'm going to flip this one around a little bit, Ryan. My, my concise answer is if you have less stuff, you'll need fewer boxes. So let's start thinking about it that way first, right? <laughs> That's good. That well, is really good. Well, let's think about having fewer boxes. So what you're saying is is start planning ahead <laughs> yes. by removing, fewer, uh, removing possessions, having fewer possessions, so you won't need as many boxes to move in the future. Right. And then my non-tweetable answer is uh, where I get used boxes is from uh, – usedcardboardboxes.com. I know that like they have no affiliation with our show. This is not an advertisement, but uh, I've I've gone there before and you can uh, I've gotten a, f- a handful of, of boxes and they just recycle other people's boxes and they'll they'll mail them to you in in a relatively environmentally friendly package. And it's just sort of tied up and the UPS guy drops off some broken down boxes and and then you put them all together and and if you have less stuff though, you'll need fewer boxes. So I would say, Lisa, between your friends, family, and local grocery stores, you can find a lot of cardboard boxes for free. So uh, you know you gotta you gotta really discern what is more valuable: uh, your time, or you know the the twenty bucks you're gonna spend at usedcardboardboxes.com. Who has already gone to their friends and family and local local grocery stores and curated a bunch of used boxes for you? Right. Uh, that's up for you to decide. But if you're looking for free card cardboard boxes, between those three resources, I bet you'll be able to find enough cardboard boxes to to move your stuff. Our, our friend Jessica also recommended. So Jessica helps out with some of our social media posts. She also has a great podcast called The Mind Palace. If you're looking for another minimalist uh, podcast, her and, and Melissa. Uh, have have a really good podcast, The Mind Palace. But she she recommended uh, liquor stores. So there's really strong small boxes there. So if you don't have a lot of stuff that you have things you want to put in these small boxes, I guess the the she's she's moved quite a bit. She moved to Hawaii what a year ago, L A two years ago, and she's in Chicago now. Her and her husband Matt. And so they've moved a lot, and I guess that's one of her her pro tips: find a a liquor store who wants to give you some boxes. All right, this question's from Josh. Wait a minute. Did you write in the no question? <laughs> what is a good rule for stuff that you may use in the future? If not needed in six months, throw away? Well, um, let's see here. My, my short tweetable answer is distinguish between just for when and just in case items. Let go of just in case items with the 2020 rule. And apply the 90-90 rule to just for win items. We'll put links to both of those rules in the show notes. I would say it doesn't matter what rules you follow as long as you're following rules that fit with your lifestyle. Mm. I think picking out the rules are probably the easy part. 
Yeah. It's sticking to the rules is what the hard part is. Yeah. So, you know, maybe the 90, like the 90-90 rule, I was thinking about this earlier today. With my snowboard, that's the only exception I think. Because if it's like July mm-hmm. 1st, uh-huh. I'm not going to go boarding until December. Uh-huh. Because of, I mean, we used to be able to, you know, Montana Montanans used to be able to snowboard in October, but now it's like December. Right. And then I'm not going to be, you know, snowboarding in April. But, uh, but yeah, so for me, maybe it's, you know, it's 120, 120. Sure. But that's to my point of, you know, Josh and I, who uh, have similar values and beliefs, we still have different rules for ourselves mm-hmm. and, and they are appropriate for our lives. So Josh, choose whatever rules you want. Uh, uh, the important part is that you act on those and stick to those rules. Don't don't choose the, the six month rule that you laid out here for yourself, Josh. Sounds like a great rule. Don't talk yourself into keeping stuff past that. Because I know that when you were helping me with my packing party, uh-huh. you, we had to come up with a rule to stick to because there were so many things that I wanted to hold on to. Uh, just in case, or just for when, right, right, wink, well, wink. Even though really it was technically just in case, right, right, right. So uh, yeah, like the coffee mugs. Um, I don't. Yeah, yeah. Those are. I mean, so so just for when are your your snowboard? Like you know you're going to use it, of even course. though it's, it's not. It's 97 days away or whatever. But if I'm looking be. at 40 coffee mugs and I'm like, I haven't used nearly this many coffee mugs in the last year. I'm probably not going to use them in the in the next year. Right. Well, you know, I know eventually within 20 years, I'm, I'm going to use, I mean, that's where you get into, that's where I would get into the temptation to hold on to things. I would make a rule and then, you know, maybe try and make an excuse to go outside of that rule. Mm-hmm. And thank God you were there to help me stick to it. <laughs> well, th- that that's an important point. Having someone to, mm. to help, you know, point out the, the flaws and the rules we set up. And even when you read the 90-90 rule on our website, you, you'll see that it is adjustable, right? It's it's like one of those mattresses that you can you can change the setting on. Uh, this this rule is is adjustable. For me, it, it tends to be a thirty thirty rule, and because if I don't use something in a month and I'm not going to use it in the next month, I'm like, oh, why do I need this? A- again, some exceptions there. I have some just for win items. My coat, <laughs> winter coat, that's important. Yeah, yeah, and so so that won't fall in thirty thirty. But most of my things actually fall in a thirty thirty uh, rule for me. And so find out what rule is right for you. Like Ryan said, it needs to to fit your lifestyle. All right, our next question is from Maddie. I'm currently in the process of moving. How do you decide what to sell, what to donate, and what to give away? Man, so this one is easy for me. Moving is the perfect time to throw your own literal packing party. So you are forced to pack. You're you're packing up all your stuff anyway, unless you're just going to leave it all there for your landlord to deal with or something, which is not recommended. And so you have to box up all your stuff anyway. Now is the perfect time to embark on on that packing party. And uh, you can find that again at theminimalists.com slash packing. You know, deciding what to sell, um, which is part of Maddie's question there, is probably the hardest the hardest part. Um, so here, here's, here's what I say about when you are choosing to sell your possessions. When selling possessions, it's important to determine the value of your time versus the sunk cost of an item. And we've talked about this before, but but you know, sometimes you've got a phone that you've paid $500 for Mm-hmm. And you want to get maybe you know oh maybe I can get two hundred fifty bucks out of it. Well, you're never going to get two hundred fifty bucks out of a phone that's six months older. Or not ah, okay. There might be some exceptions to that rule, but for all intents and purposes, if you've got a phone that is a year or two old, you're, you're not, not going to make your money back on. No, there is a there is a sunk cost you have to accept. So maybe you could get fifty bucks out of it. Well, you've got to determine is it worth your time to put it up on eBay or to uh, you know find a way to get fifty dollars for that? Because I'll tell you. 
um, I have spent hours and hours and hours selling stuff on Craigslist, mm-hmm. you know, just for someone to show up and give me 20 bucks for something. Sure. And when I think about it, it's like, wow, I think I would have paid someone $20 <laughs> to just come and take this item. Yeah. And it also depends on your current financial situation, too. I remember Absolutely. When me, when I, eBay became my best friend for a while when I was in debt. There are all kinds of people complaining about they don't have any money. Or I don't. I, you had more time than money, right? Right. So it was important to make sure to get that twenty dollars, that fifty dollars here or there. Yeah, I mean, you could. Th- there are five to fifteen thousand dollars worth of things you can sell in, in your home right now. You don't realize like, you have these extra pairs of shoes, all these extra clothes. People are going to buy this stuff from you. And for me, what my initial rule was: if I could get more than twenty dollars for it, I would sell the item. If not, I would. Uh, I would find a way to either donate it you know, to someone I knew who would get value from it, or to a local thrift shop, uh, or I mean, ultimately, uh, is there a way to is there a way to get rid of it without throwing it away? Is basically what I was trying to do. So I'd either sell, donate, recycle, or ultimately trash if if that's what I had to do. But if I go through that process, there were very few things I actually had to throw away yeah. in, in a, a a physical dump because I found ways to to get rid of them. So for me, it was more than twenty bucks. I was willing to sell it. And, and really pay off my debt. Now that I don't have debt, it, it tends to be uh, higher ticket items I'll try to sell. If it's over 100 bucks, I'll, I'll try to find a way to sell it. This one's from Laurie. I am a sentimental person, so it's hard to get rid of old stuff. What's a good first step? The first step in letting go is understanding that our memories aren't inside our things. Our memories are inside us. Laurie, start small. Give away one sentimental item and see how it feels. If you can't sleep at night, ask for it back. You know, it's interesting, man. There, so since I first embraced minimalism about seven-plus years ago, I've gotten rid of a lot of stuff, mm. hundreds of thousands of items. And there isn't a single item that I miss. Yeah. Not one thing where I'm like, I really wish I wouldn't have gotten rid of that. I totally, even my sentimental stuff, that chair, like talking about that earlier, yeah. did not evoke any negative emotion for me. No. If anything, I thought, I bet you that chair is sitting in that guy's living room right now, and him and his wife are really, really getting a lot of value out of that chair. But yeah, if I had that chair, I don't, I don't need, I still don't have a space for it. I'd rather have that second couch than that chair because the couch I use all the time. Right, right. Yeah. So, so Ryan is a minimalist with two couches. What a hypocrite. <laughs> no, but I mean, that's, that's the point. You use them all the time. You have those game nights and people fun. staying over. I mean, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah you, there's plenty. I, that, those two couches get plenty of use. Mm-hmm. All right, our last question is from Finney. We moved countries and got rid of everything, including our furniture and kitchenware. How do we decide what's essential for our new place? All right, here's my answer. Ask yourself, how do I want to live? Build your home and your stuff around that life. Don't bring things into your home just because there's a space for it. Instead, ask, what is going to serve a purpose or bring you joy? Okay, it's time for our added value portion of the show where we each recommend something that has added value to our lives recently. I'm going to start with a podcast. I did an interview with a guy named Jordan Harbinger um, maybe a month or two ago. It wasn't the best interview I've done, but I really like his podcast in general. So it's called The Art of Charm. AOC is the name of the podcast. We'll put a link to that in the show notes or you can find it on iTunes or wherever you get uh, your podcast, but I, I really enjoy the interviews that he does. He does these like long form, in depth interviews with people all over the 
the the spectrum of interest. I mean, a lot of interesting people. But I'll tell you, my favorite part of his podcast on Fridays, he does Fan Mail Fridays. So something similar to what we do, we we answer questions, people call in, people write him, and he, he gives really great answers. He's really good at giving advice. And he always talks about it at the beginning of, of his Fan Mail Friday episodes. He'll say, now this... Uh, this is not the best place to start if you're if you're new to AOC. Uh, you may want to dive into our longer form, deeper interviews. And I, I totally disagree with that sentiment. I love his Fan Mail Friday episodes. He, he does such a good job of answering people's questions. And so if you find value in our format, the way we do things, that may actually be a good place for you to start. He also does something called Mini-Sode Mondays, Ryan. Mini-Sode Mondays. Where he, there are these short three to five minute clips just something to get your week started off with some some positive reinforcement or some actionable items that you can do for the week to, to make your week better. So Minnesota, Minnesota Monday is another great way to get a little bite-sized nugget from the Art of Charm. And uh, I did an interview with, with Jordan a few months back. If you want to hear me not at the top of my game, you can certainly uh, listen to that episode. But I would encourage you to start with his Fan Mail Fridays or his Minnesota Mondays. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. Yeah, I don't really have anything this week, man. Sean, you got anything? You got anything that's been adding value to your life lately? I'm putting him on the spot here. No. Well, thank God Josh has a lot of recommendations. He man, can make I, he can make a, up for the lack of recommendations we have. I have a whole list, but I'll I will I will hold off on my list until, <laughs> until Well, next you can at least week. recommend one more thing since I didn't have something. Nah, I'll move on. Uh, uh let's move on to right here right now. This is where we uh, get to talk about what's going on in the lives of the minimalists. Just a, a few small things here. One is we'll be doing some tour stops soon and some speaking gigs. Uh, if you want to be the first to know about that cuz they will probably sell out. You can um, just go to our email newsletter. Just go to theminimalists.com. Type in your email at the top there. We'll never, ever send you spam or junk or advertisements because all of those things suck. Gross. Yeah. Did you see someone posted on our – we had that um, – like Amazon's doing the Goodwill box thing, which – but I didn't realize there's so much like uh, – there's there's some issues with Amazon that I won't go into right now, so I will preface it with this. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, the the reactions on the Facebook post were mixed. Uh-huh. Um, but someone commented, they're like, oh, sigh. Uh, the minimalists are doing advertisements uh, for Amazon now, and I'm thinking to myself, like, what? Like, no, we no. still think advertisements suck. Like, yeah, we, we've never done an advertisement. Well, there's there's one exception. We will occasionally. Um, this is, I don't think of this as an advertisement, and, and so I I can talk about it real quick. I actually heard Sam Harris talking about this recently. Uh, because he doesn't do any advertisements on his podcast either. Like some some of my favorite podcasts. Uh, Sam Harris, Rob Bell, who are two complete opposite ends of the spectrum, but neither one of them do do advertisements. But most 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 podcasts do, and I think some people can do it really well. Uh, the person who does it best to to me is Joe Rogan. Oh, hands down. Man. I mean, I will I I Bex and I will turn on his advertisements or turn on his podcast. It starts with like five minutes of advertisements. Right. But man, he makes fun of his sponsor. Like he he just doesn't give a damn. Like he's he's willing to. To you can tell he's just going through the motions. Yeah, but he'll he'll do so in such a fun way. I mean, so if if yeah. uh, if you don't get offended by very heavy cursing, which I don't at all, then uh, you could grab your your partner or a friend and just sit down and listen to him reading off advertisements. It is pretty it's, it's funny. pretty fun. I mean, he's a comedian, obviously, yeah. and, and it shows in his advertising. But Sam was talking about how on Facebook. Occasionally, in order to communicate with the people who like your page, you have to you know, pro- do a promoted 
not tweet, what's it called? A promoted post, I guess. Sure. Um, so, you know, we have several hundred thousand people who follow, follow us on Facebook. You wish you should be able to communicate to them, uh, uh, for free, but you can't always. And so you have to spend 10, 20 bucks sometimes to get out a message you really want to get out, uh, to have it reach more of your followers. Now we're not advertising the people who don't want to follow us already, but we will, we will occasionally spend 10 or 15 bucks to get our message out to our, our core audience. Who do want to hear. Yeah, absolutely. Who do want to hear. And the same thing uh, is true when we send out emails. We send out an email newsletter through a place like MailChimp. It costs money to do that. You're paying for the service, but we're not, we're, we're never advertising for, on someone else's behalf. And we also don't have advertisements as well. I mean, and so that that's because it doesn't align with our values. We're not saying that advertisements are inherently evil. I think most of them pretty much suck. And so that's why, why we don't do that. But we do want to keep you posted of uh, any tour stops we're going to do. So if you want to add your email address to our list, you're welcome to do that at theminimalists.com. Do we have anything else that's going on right now, Ryan? Nope. Finally, here are some voicemail comments and tips from our listeners. This is Susanna calling from Vermont. I have an idea for Erica, the caller in episode 50 who owned a yarn shop and was concerned with adding to her customers over accumulation of yarn. Erica's shop could become a clearinghouse so customers could declutter their yarn stash and donate yarn to charity. A Google search of donating yarn brought up a lot of hits with information on how to and where to donate yarn. I think this could be a way to help Erica align her retail sales with her values. Hello, my name is Matt Vanover. I'm from Lexington, Kentucky. Basically, I have a comment. Um, A lot like you guys, I worked in the cell phone industry uh, pretty much my entire life. Um, I made my way, my rank, made my way up the ranks, and I was a district manager for a few years, and then uh, I was asked to do to interview for a, a regional director position. And uh, during the interview, uh, the the person which was our, which was our VP, and this was a reseller, not actually I didn't actually work for the the carrier, but a reseller of, of cell phones. Uh, they asked me to, you know, interview for a regional director position, and during that interview, uh, you know, he made a comment about. Hey, you know, now you're going to have to be working, you know, 80 plus hours a week. How do you feel about that? Uh, and for for some reason, like that just resonated with me. I, I don't know why, but I just panicked. You know, I just I started looking at myself. I'm like, man, is this really what I want? You know, and I knew it wasn't. And literally two weeks after the interview, I actually put in my resignation. I didn't even know if I got the position or not. It was a big surprise to everyone because it was doing really well in the company, and you know, I was pretty much the you know, a shooting star there, and, and, you know, I was even asked by the VP of the company to interview for that position, and, uh, you know, I, I thought, because I wasn't happy at the time, so I thought that maybe, you know, maybe the stress of my job is what's making me so unhappy, and so when I left, I went back just to, went to another company just to sell cell phones, that's it, you know, only sell cell phones, and, but I went there, and I did that, and I wasn't happy again, you know, I, I couldn't understand it, so uh, um, I was asked by that, you know, that same company that I worked for originally to come back and, uh, you know, be another district manager somewhere in, a, in another uh, part of the country. And I was like, well, maybe that's what it was. You know, maybe I do need this. So I go back to, to selling, you know, being a district manager again. And, and again, I'm, I wasn't happy, but my entire identity was tied into being a district manager. I, I found so much ple- pleasure in it. Of like when I went to the high school reunion, I felt like, hey, I'm the most successful person here. And, and you know, I put so much of my identity into that. And, uh, Again, I, I, I couldn't find pleasure in it, right? So I left yet again, and my job was happening in a matter of a year, I, and I never I never quit a job in my life, and all of a sudden I'm, I'm quitting several times in a matter of a year. 
different places, and I go back to selling cell phones for another carrier. And, you know, yet again, I, I couldn't really find happiness because I still put all my identity into, you know, that corporate job and having tons of money and, and having a nice car and house and, and so on and so forth. All right, y'all, that's it for this episode. If you have a question for The Minimalist, give us a call, 406-219-7839. And if you leave here with just one message, we hope it's this. Love people and use things because the opposite never works. Thanks for listening, y'all. We'll see you next time. Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it Every little thing that you gotta have Every little thing that you gotta have You gotta reach for and you gotta grab Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it So tear your 